1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Villato and I gotta be honest, I am amped up. I'm very amped up because this draft turned fast on a dime for me. I love the Giants draft. We'll get into that, obviously, on this podcast, but for me... This draft, especially considering they've stayed at 36-99, and 99. if you told me there were no options to trade back, even though the Giants nearly did trade back, by the way. But just with what they could do with 4-36-99, uh, and 99, this is almost a perfect draft for me, a slam-dunk draft for me. We'll get into why in a little bit, but I'm amped up. Hopefully you hear my voice. I don't know if you can, though, because I am... Currently operating on two and a half hours of sleep. Last night after we finished recording at 4.30 a.m., I was too amped up. Couldn't fall asleep until about 6, 6.15. Saw it on my phone and then woke up at 8.30 to, to start working again for the draft. Just wrapped up. It's about 2.30 a.m. here. So it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, too. And so I'm excited to dive into this, Nick. How are you doing? And are you as amped up as I am about this
2: day, two and overall draft for the New York Football Giants so far? I do enjoy the draft and I too am running on a little bit of sleep. Uh, I fell asleep at like seven in the morning yesterday, (laughs) but I I woke up at like one. So I got a solid bit of sleep. Uh, But then of course I go and I lift today, leg day. So I'm even extra tired because I'm an idiot and I'll do stuff like that. But I am excited about this draft, man. I'm excited that the Giants were able to get two players that they value in the first round and bring in a developmental tackle who has a ton of intriguing traits that we're going to get into, and he has some technical flaws that we will get into as well. But I do believe Mark Colombo can get the most out of this developmental project, and I just I'm excited that the Giants didn't didn't they stuck true to their convictions. When it comes to Dave Gettleman, he sees people that he likes and he wants to bring them in. But I feel like Joe Judge really loved Xavier McKinney as well. Mm -hmm. And I think Patrick Graham did. I think that entire coaching staff and front office really loved the fact of adding an SEC defender with that much playing experience and that much versatility to this team and he's going to make that defense significantly better in my opinion because it's going to allow jabril peppers julian love to be used in a variety of different ways and there's going to be a lot of just rotation and uh flexibility for patrick graham when it comes to those def- defenders in the second and third level
1: and we'll dive into a full valuation of the two players that were selected of course um tonight's episode is going to feature full valuations on both those players, our thoughts on the picks. We'll dive a little bit into day 3 targets, um but nothing too crazy on that end, but we will touch on them. I want to hear Nick's day 3 targets. I got some of my own. But first before we do any of that, we we're not going to do uh, another recap of our big surprises from the draft's day, you know, days 2 uh sorry, rounds 2 and 3. I can give first. you a couple spoilers. <laughs> I really like what the Jets did. I really like what um who's another team that really stood out to me the jets for sure i mean I, man my my brain is a little fried so I, who else did you like that that did some good stuff on the draft today in the draft tonight nick
2: Honestly, if there was one team that I was going to bring up, it was going to be the Jets. So kind of just swooped in and stole my thunder right there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in addition to the Jets, Cardinals, you got to love what they did, especially if you consider the second round pick DeAndre Hopkins. Well, then they come back and Josh Jones falls in their laps. Ravens always killing it, literally just always freaking killing it. And then the Panthers, I really like what the Panthers did. Rebuilding that defense, I, I was surprised Jeremy Chin fell all the way to round three. And I was surprised that Duggar went ahead of him, almost a full round ahead of him. Um, And then the Vikings, another team, they have their type at cornerback, man. And they got two corners I love, especially for that system. So I think that defense is going to be really back to elite level next year. But let's talk Giants football. And before we get into that, Nick, I do want to touch on a little interesting development from today. Give a little (laughs) context. Um, It's going about my day today. So as I mentioned, Nick, I was working a shift from about 8.30 till 3 p.m., and then I had a few hours off before I jumped back on at 6.30 p.m. In that time, I was checking out Twitter, you know, Nick, perusing, seeing what was up, and I saw a Giants fan account. That's uh, Paul Dettino, the, the the team shill, the guy paid by the team, the guy who's literally never disagreed with a single decision in the history of Giants football. You cannot find one decision that the guy didn't like, but— He's talking about his targets for day two. So he brought up AJ Epinesa and Yatir Gross two guys with questionable change of direction skills. I think that's fair to say at the very least, he, especially for Epinesa, a guy who was just unbelievably bad in that regard at the combine. Um, and somebody I just don't see the fit for as the Giants are going to use, you know, and this is funny because Nick Turchin kind of jumped in the old. our our old friends of the show and the old podcast goes. And he was like, this guy is so out of line with this. Like the giants are going to be using bare concepts with three, three, five on defense. They need edges with change of direction skills. And so I simply posed the question to Paul Dettino. I did it as a quote tweet. Maybe that got on his nerves. I don't know. Some people don't like getting quote tweeted. I didn't do it for that reason. That wasn't my intention, Nick, but I just said, uh, I don't really see the fit here, uh, for these guys. Can you, can you break it down? And instead of, you know, Responding politely or just, you know, saying like, oh, I see the fit. You're wrong. He said, he said, he said, these guys are versatile players that can play off the ball or on the, ball, or yeah, off the ball, standing up or on the line of scrimmage. He said, if you don't see that, maybe you should be covering the NHL. So. At first, I decided I'll take the high road. I got a lot of ammo, Nick. If I want to, ta- if I want to tap into it, I got tons of ammo on this guy. He is a total idiot. I'm sorry, I, I don't want to say this, but I will. He's a total buffoon when it comes to his Giants takes. He's literally never seen a movie he doesn't like. This is the guy who didn't want the Giants to draft a quarterback in 2018 or 2019 because he still felt Eli was elite. And in 2018, he actually went as far as saying, I got sources inside the building that say Davis Webb is the future of this franchise. Davis Webb is the guy. And, like, that's just unbelievably bad stuff to say Davis Webb is the guy because obviously he was caught a couple months later. <laughs> but back to this. So I just simply respond to that by saying, dude, that was totally uncalled for. Why did you do this? And I thought that would be the end of it, Nick. I was going to let the web stuff slide. I was going to let him calling me, you know, somebody who should be following the NHL slide, whatever. He came back with two more hits. One was that, uh, you know, he's mentioned something about my teammate. I think he was referring to you, but you weren't involved in it, so I wasn't sure. And then he finally, you know, dropped the dagger when he said, uh, I would send you cut-ups of, of Epinesa so you can understand this, but you won't understand it anyway. I won't understand it, Paul. I won't understand it, Paul. You are terrible at this job. Like Literally every Giants fan who's ever come across your way will tell, will tell me and you, Nick, and anyone who asks the same exact thing. That he's the least objective person who covers the team. So that was it. I took off. I threw a couple jabs his way. I brought up Davis Webb. I told him to direct his attention to Carl Banks, who literally two nights ago, when someone asked him about prospects, said, I don't have a good feel for this, but I get my information from, from Dan and Nick. So I, I sent that his way. And then, of course, I dropped the, the, the line that everybody knows. He's the, literally the least objective person to ever cover this team, in my opinion. You could not find a less objective person. So... That was my day, Nick. I got into a, before any of this happened, before the Giants made all these day two picks we we're so excited about, I got into a Twitter feud with Paul Dettino. <laughs> I didn't tell myself
2: that's uh that's hilarious i saw it way after like during the draft and i, I like i only saw him passing because i was doing a lot of work so i had to ask you about it before the podcast but yeah when it comes to these journalists man a lot of these beat reporters they have a very rudimentary. But,
1: he's not, but i want to be clear i don't want to cut you off but he's not a beat reporter and he's not a journalist he's well, he works here.
2: for giants.com right he works for
1: giants.com he's a team yeah. chill. paid by the team to say good things about the team
2: Exactly. But he, like those kind of guys have a a pretty rudimentary understanding of football concepts and yeah. you, if you hit him with something like, yeah, well, how does Epinesa or you gross mottos fit into a three, three, five stack? Like what Turchin uh, said, he's not going to know even what a three, three, five stack is. And for those of you who don't <laughs> know, that is a nose tackle and two, three techniques. You, uh, and then with three linebackers too close to the line of scrimmage and then the one mic. So you can look it up on Google. It's all over there, but the Giants are going to run a lot of that and the Giants are going to run a lot of two, four, five the Giants are going to run a lot of multiple fronts on this Patrick Graham defense. But you need players who are going to be able to cover in space and you don't need just people who are more suited to be five techniques because their coverage in space is pretty questionable to gross and Vanessa both didn't do that quite often. In college, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm willing to bet that they did not do that often at all, just through all the tape that I've seen of both those players. So that's not really in their skill set. I, I don't know what crawled up that guy's ass, but whatever it was, um, <laughs> whatever. I mean, he, he's been covering that team for 34 years, but he's a journalist. Yeah. He's not a tape guy.
1: Journalist is a stretch for what I think he's doing. I, I don't even know what I would consider, but it was funny because I had a few Giants beat reporters, actual beat reporters, then contact me out of the blue. They DM me. Um, in addition to some other people who cover the team, but not technically beat reporters, but one of them was Jordan Ronan, who I've literally never spoken to in my life. Not a word. We have no DM track. We have not talked on Twitter and any replies and back and forth when I've been uh, at training camp or when I've covered the games. I, I covered three games last year for the Giants when I saw him in the locker room or in the press box or the cafeteria never said a word nothing like that and, and i've and i've you know i've shared exchanges with pretty much every other beat reporter and i just thought it was so funny he reached out to me and he and he basically made a joke he's like i'm not gonna stop you from this and he like the popcorn emoji or whatever it was and he's like <laughs> he's like preach man because i i said the same thing i just kind of said here about the tino and a few other a couple other beat reporters reached out to me and they've all had these spats with the tino because Anytime anyone says anything negative about the Giants, and I wasn't even saying anything negative about the Giants, which is the weirdest part, I wasn't even saying anything negative about A.J. Epinesa. He's a good fit for the Bills. The Bills are going to utilize him really well. It's a good pick for them. I was just questioning his fit for the Giants and if it would be a good pick for them at 36 or wherever they were going to take him. Given Given the depth of
2: the defensive tackles and the potential five techniques on this team. Sure. You know? Yeah, and and I don't yeah. even think AJ Epinesa should be a five tech anyway.
1: To be completely honest with you, I think he's best fit for how the Bills are going to use him in their scheme, which is different than what the Giants do. Um, and the same goes for your squat Matos with with the Panthers. But you know that was his reaction and and tried to take the high road, Nick. But in the end, in the end, I had to dive into it. Um, and so <laughs> I'm I'm happy with with how that transpired. I'm totally fine with that. I don't need Paul DeTino as a connection. Could care less if that bridge is burned. God bless that guy. Is not good at his. I'm, I do not like his content whatsoever, and and I don't need him. I don't need to worry about him at all. I don't think.
2: Big blue banter fans. This is the Paul Dettino Roasting <laughs> Hour. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're done now. Let's get into the we're draft. Done. Let's get into the draft. And I was thinking about this. Might be a time to take a break to hear order from our sponsors, but then we might just lose our fans for good from this show if we do a full <laughs> if we do a full out segment about how little sleep we're on, and then we couple that with the Detino <laughs> the Detino bitch session. I'm sorry, excuse my language, Detino session, uh, and then we take a break to hear order from our sponsors. So, we'll, so we'll save that for a little bit later in the show. Let's dive right into it, Nick Xavier McKinney, the Giants pick at number 36 overall. There were rumors earlier they were trying to move up. The reality of situation, that wasn't true. Dave Gettleman said after making the pick that actually he had a deal in place and was going to trade back if McKinney was selected before 36 overall. So that's music to my ears. Let's just start with that. But at the same time, this is what happens. Dave Gettleman, and, and I, I got to be honest, Nick, I like Dave Gettleman as a drafter. I think he does a good job with these player evaluations from the college game, and I think he does a good job sticking to his value board and not – making the decision to make need over value picks. And they had a really high first round grade on McKinney. And when he was up there at 36 overall, they felt like they couldn't pass. I'm assuming they had a top 15, top 17 grade. And I got to be honest, Nick for me, I consider McKinney somewhat of a blind spot because forever I had just penciled him into that number 17 overall pick with the Cowboys. I was very confident it was going to happen from the things I was hearing from how I graded him as a player that I never really fully dove into him the way I dove into Ashton Davis and Antoine Winfield and Grant Delpit because those were the guys I thought they would have a chance at. I really never thought at 36 overall they would have a chance at Xavier McKinney. But as I now dive into this pick and as I consider this pick a little bit more, I think Daniel Jeremiah kind of said it best. He said the Giants got really lucky here that, that you know, with coronavirus and everything else, this guy didn't have a chance to improve on his 40 time and his combine at his pro day. Because, remember, with this ridiculous setup at the combine, with these guys running their drills at 10 p.m. or whatever it was, McKinney cramped up before his 40, decided to run it anyway, and ran a four six, And that is probably the only reason that I can see Nick when i look at this player overall that he would potentially fall to 36 overall it's the question about his straight line speed his deep speed because if you look at actually just the production level he finished according to pro football focus he went back to back years with top 4 grades as a safety and his best attribute was actually when he played in the deep half And it was his coverage grade. His coverage grade uh, for Pro Football Focus was—I'm trying to get these numbers up now. I believe it was over 90. Uh, I'm pretty sure his coverage grade was over 90. Yeah, his coverage grade uh, in the deep half was 90.8, which is unbelievably impressive. And it's not like he had the worst combine ever, by the way. He did good with his explosion jumps. Um, But if not for the straight-line speed, Nick, when you consider the production in the deep half role— the production in the slot from Zabin McKinney, he's easily this this class's most versatile safety, which is extremely important. We know that for Joe Judge and for Patrick Graham's defense. And what I really liked was that he kind of was somewhat like a much lighter version, of course, a not nearly as athletic freak version, of course, though he does have awesome instincts and eyes, version of Isaiah Simmons. He played 285 snaps in the box, 227 snaps in the slot, 272 snaps at deep half safety, at free safety. That's basically even across the board at those three and even had 38 snaps on the defensive line. I saw a clip that Betts put up and Betts is a guy who does all 22 uh, draft Twitter tape of McKinney blitzing from the A gap and totally destroying the, the the blocker to get through for the sack. This guy is physical, he has good eyes. He's a, he's an he's not tackling isn't obviously his forte, but he's good at it. He's fine at it. He can match up with tight ends in the slot and coverage, which is something that Giants haven't had in a decade plus, a decade plus since they've had a guy who can match up with slot. Landon Collins was okay at it at first, but then was a liability in that role. Yeah, and the Giants he really, he was by the end of it. He was yeah. a liability matched up first the slots and the big tight ends. This is a guy who can do that. But what really intrigues me the most is that I know it doesn't look like it on paper based on his deep, uh, based on a straight line speed, but... This is a guy who really had a lot of success in the deep half safety role, and this is something that both Joe Judge and Gettleman said, which I also thought was awesome, by the way, that they understood that need. They both said we needed a guy who could play the. D- this was, of course, um, after the pick was made, they have a, you know post-draft presser with the reporters, the beat reporters on the beat. And he said both both of them said they were looking for somebody who can play in the deep half. Um, I've seen comparisons all over the place for McKinney. The one I like the most is Malcolm Jenkins because of just that versatility, that ability to do all these different roles. So for me, this is a slam dunk A-plus pick for me, Nick. And I slept on him a little bit. I wanted Ashton Davis. I kind of fell in love with Ashton Davis. I fell in love with his range, the rangiest safety in his class. I fell in love with Antoine Winfield's tape. And these were guys I thought the Giants had a shot. I never really saw McKinney as a player they could get. But now that they got him, I'm I, I'm in full bloom love, Nick. I really am.
2: I did not expect the Giants to have an opportunity to select McKinney. And the fact that he was there at 36 really um, – it makes me happy. Now – I don't know if we slightly disagree with this. I, him at as a single high safety, he's done it and he has experience doing it. He takes good angles. I don't necessarily believe his hips are as fluid and his range definitely isn't up to snuff to, as some of these other prospects. But with that being said, the versatility of this player, you can do so many different things with him. He is going to be a solid player to cover those tight ends and those big slot receivers. He might struggle a little bit in like mirror match against smaller athletic type of slot receivers. That might be something because his athletic ability, it's solid. He's he's a good athlete, but he's not a great athlete. That's something that uh, I do want to kind of illuminate. He's not. somebody. He's definitely not. Even he's not cramps
1: aside at the combine. Even without that, he's definitely not not a premier athlete. We know that.
2: I think he can improve on his ball skills, but he's very physical at the catch point. I think his tackling is really good near the line of scrimmage. He knows how to find the open gap and attack downhill. Has a really, really quick trigger when it comes to kind of attacking downhill on underneath the routes and on the running back within the box because he is, has those instincts in the box as one of those players who is just uh, physical and really trusts his eyes and trusts what he sees, kind of developing in front of him, but coming downhill sometimes like a little like just little things that i saw and i watched his lsu tape and his arkansas tape um tonight actually during the draft and the little things that i ended up seeing was he was when he was coming down from the deep he missed a couple of those tackles but every time he did it he would go for that outside leg of the ball carrier boxing that player inside towards his alabama teammates which is something you want to see you know that's uh, kind of keeping the sanctity and the continuity of the defense intact. But then I was like, hmm, is this somebody who misses a lot of tackles? Because I saw it a couple different times, and I was like, oh, shit, man. I'm kind of mm. concerned. Let's check this out. But I went to Pro Football Focus to see how many missed tackles that he had. And his missed tackles weren't that high. Those were just two outliers. 11% missed tackle rate, of course, in Pro Football Focus. And so those were outlier games that I saw. That's why you have to watch more than just right. two games. And I will when it, when I have the time. I didn't realize McKinney was going to be the selection, or else I would have done a, yeah. a whole lot of games before this pick. But I I think just he's I can't find a glaring liability in his game. That's yep, the
1: thing. That's like, exactly right.
2: Rounded prospect. That was my notion just watching Alabama uh, throughout the year. I was just like, oh, McKinney's gonna be a good safety in the league. I don't think he has that dynamic range, but I think he's gonna I think he can right. play single high. And I think that he is a very smart player on the back end with his angles and kind of understanding route combinations, things along those lines. And that sec connection man and that alabama connection both come to fruition right here and uh, you know dave Gettleman loves himself some sec ballers i mean this guy played what 41 games started 28 of them and it has versatility to play all over the back half of that defense so it's um to me it's a home run the fact that he was even there for the giants to select and they added a damn good football player to the defense yeah i really
1: i really just don't think if This coronavirus, you know, short and off season wasn't in place. They wouldn't have got him here. I really think he was a lock first rounder if he could have reran that pro day.
2: Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. But he was the first safety off the board. I don't know. I don't know if you agree with me here, Dan. I feel like the NFL values the safety position in such a weird way, because every time there's very talented safeties that are on the free agent market, they sit there for weeks and then they start finding little places to go to. I don't there's something about that position where the NFL values them. I just feel like in a different manner than some of the other positions in the NFL. I'm not really sure why, but it, no safety was drafted in the first round, but Kenny had a first-round grade according to the Giants, and I'm sure according to a lot of other teams. So the Giants were the beneficiary of him falling to pick 36. Right. And,
1: and you say a good point. I mean, the part of it is obviously the run of positions that went and what teams felt they needed uh, You know, on day one. There were a ton of wide receivers who went off on day one, cornerbacks, um, and obviously multiple quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks came off the board. And then finally, a running back even was was on day one, which you don't always see. But at the same time, I just have this feeling, man, that if he could have reran that forty, I think a lot of teams do have athletic barometers, like testing barometers, especially at a position like safety, where if you don't hit that, if you can't even get under four six, for sure, for starters. Even though again, he ran it after having cramps, like it's a known thing, like. But, you know, they don't know. They didn't didn't get a chance to rerun it. And he even said, I love what he said about it in his uh, interview with the Beat Reporters after. He's like, I didn't want to rerun the 40 because I felt like everything that that needs to be said about my game uh, can be said about my game tape. And he kept referencing his game tape. And I love that because... This is not about 40 times, in my opinion. And he could have reran that. He could have done better, but it doesn't matter. He didn't need to, and he knows that. And he he even said that he was disappointed he didn't go on day one. He expected to go on day one. He really should have been a day one pick because you said it best. The best thing you could say about his game is that he's not the flashiest playmaker, but he's so solid all the time. I mean, just some of the numbers from this guy. According to Pro Football Focus, he only allowed two first downs in coverage during 2019 two or no sorry across his whole career or sorry this is a two year coverage grade my bad across the last two years of his career at at Alabama according to Pro Football Focus he allowed two total first downs in coverage over 246 snaps And intercepted four passes and forced one complete and one pass broken up. But two first downs, like according to their charting, that's crazy numbers. And then in addition to that, over the last two years, he's had 10 plus pressures in each year, 2018 and 2019, because he's used as a blitz weapon at Alabama. Like I said, his snaps are split up completely evenly in the slot as kind of that money backer role, but also a true slot in the box where he's blitzing a lot and, and, and having success. And then in the deep half. So, this is a guy who I think is just a slam dunk pick for me. I love the Malcolm Jenkins comparison. That's exactly the type of safety that I think Malcolm Jenkins is. Not the flashiest player, but just has such a, had such a variety of roles over the course of his career with the Saints and the Eagles. And I think even at this advanced age for Jenkins, he's going to be an awesome pickup for New Orleans this season because he's just so savvy. And he just does everything well. And that's kind of how I feel with Xavier McKinney.
2: I can't disagree with you whatsoever. I mean, I love his click and close. The guy had what 20 passes defensed, five interceptions in his career yep. at Alabama, and he's just a uh, just smart out there on the football field. You don't catch him out of position. You don't see him uh, execute the wrong run fits. He's always puts himself in the position to make a tackle, and if he's not making the tackle, he, again, he's boxing him back inside towards his teammates. So I, I like this addition. I just don't see where it's going to go wrong, but. And I don't think that the Giants have too many safeties either. I think you can really find a a fun rotation. And by rotation, I mean all three safeties on the field in dime packages, big nickel packages. And even if they do run the base 3-3-5, I think Jabril Pepper, Xavier McKinney, or Julian Love could be one of those linebackers. Mm -hmm. You can even put some of them on the edge, drop them into coverage sometimes, blitz them the other times. There's just a lot of different things that you can do with these kind of Defenders. So I'm excited to see how Graham kind of implements a player with this skill set. But I got to pose this question to you. Damn, what does this say about the long term future of Jabril Peppers with the Giants? Well, you know, Nick, I kind of go
1: back to what you just said. And this is something Dave Gettleman said. He said, you know, you can never have too many defensive backs. We're in these days with how much 11 personnel is played and 10 personnel, we're in nickel 55%, 55 to 70% of the time. He was lowballing it. The Giants haven't been in anything. The Giants have been in nickel and set in over seventy-five percent of their snap for back-to-back seasons. Nickel is a lot more than fifty-five percent these days. It's two-thirds. It's I'm sorry. It's three-fourths of the snap year after year after year. All these teams are using eleven personnel all the time or ten personnel. And so, for me, I don't think it's it's any kind of harbinger on. Jabril Peppers future with this team, I think it gives him, you know, I think it's a, it's a shot in the back. It's something that says, you know, you had an injured season. You didn't play as, as high as we expected. You got to step up because you have that fifth year rookie op contract option coming up. And if you want, if you want to be someone we're going to invest long term in, well, we got to see it. But I think that he could, like you said, I mean, these guys are going to be on the field a lot because they're playing nickel a lot and they're going to be a field a lot because they're playing dime a lot. And so you're going to have at least five defensive backs on the field for the vast majority of your snaps. And then sometimes you're going to have six defensive backs on the field and they can mix and match with this young core that They've been building out over the past few years. Bradbury love McKinney peppers, um, Ballantyne maybe Sam Beal, Deandre Baker, and you just have a nice group of young, talented corners and safeties to kind of mix and match in your nickel and your dime. And I really think these days, Nick, not only because of how much 11 personnel teams are playing, but because of what we're kind of starting to see with teams like the Patriots who have taken that smart route. And this, and the Ravens in some, in some regard, too, of prioritizing pass coverage over pass rush. And that's what we've seen the Giants do once again in this draft class, they have not taken an edge rusher and they did not go after them hard in free agency either. A lot of people are panicking about that, Nick. I'm not one of them because I watch these teams and I look at the analytics and I look at how the game's played. Every single offense these days, for the most part, obviously not Bruce Arians and what he's doing in Tampa Bay, but like for the most part, almost every offense is designed to get the ball out fast within under two and a half seconds, sometimes even faster. And that really puts more of a stress to me on pass coverage more than pass rush, because there's very few pass rushers who are going to impact a play in, in under two and a half seconds. Really? I think there are a lot of pa- corners and safeties. who are going to screw up a play in coverage in, 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 under two and a half seconds. I think there's a greater chance of that happening than a pass rusher making an impact. So to me, I'm so on board with that strategy. I really am. I've bought full, I fully subscribed into that strategy and we'll see if it works because last year it obviously didn't work. Some people will blame that on the pass rush. I'll put more of the the onus on the coverage just never being there. They were just never on the same page with Betcher. There was way too many coverage concepts thrown at them at once. It was way too advanced and not simplified enough for a group so young on the back end. And I think we'll see a lot of improvement there as these guys move forward. And I think we'll see the, the Giants will reap the benefits sooner than later of investing in defensive backs for this roster
2: especially ones who still have high upside but the floor is still so high yes. with a player like Xavier McKinney so you're not he's not going to come in here and bust you know you're going to get a solid football player no matter what unless he gets injured so that's something that I love the fact that they added this type of player to this type of defense with this kind of coaching staff and uh, it's uh, again did not expect him to be there whatsoever but no. i'm happy that he was and he's yeah. the best safety, he's the best overall safety in this class when it yes. comes to everything 100%. that has to do with playing safety he is the best one is he as rangy think- or as athletic as someone like ashton davis no but still his smarts and his understanding and experience and all those things that come into being safety he's got it under his belt yeah and in addition to all of that
1: because this is unrelated to that. He would be the best safety anyway because of all the different roles he can play and everything you just mentioned, how solid he is, the few laps he has. Even guys like Ashton Davis and Delpit, who we talked about, who have unreal range, they have major breakdowns in their game often. And that's apparent on tape all the time. You don't see that with McKinney. But one thing I wanted to mention, kind of aside from that, I want to see your take on it, was some some things I've picked up are that You know, Nick Saban basically said he was one of the smartest players that he's ever coached and that he had on that defense last year, and that's why he put so much on his plate. And that's exactly what the Giants said as well. They believe that he can be the quarterback of the defense. You usually see that role reserved more for the linebacker in the middle of the defense, but considering how many snaps uh, McKinney played in the box and how many snaps he played on the line of scrimmage and in the slot, I mean, this guy probably in my opinion can play that role for the Giants and be a quarterback of the defense. And and if you're the quarterback of the deep, if, if you're also adding that value you it, to me, it, it's, it's hard to measure that, what that value is worth, but it's so valuable to have a player like that because half of this game, it, a lot of this game is mental. We saw it last year with Deandre Baker, a guy who really was just held back by the mental side of it and to come in and already feel like you have a step up there to me that that says a lot about about the impact he can make early on for the Giants.
2: Yeah, I mean, he speaks about uh, playing under Nick Saban. He says, I'm really good with structure. It's not a problem for me whatsoever. When he stepped into school, he had a lot of structure and his coaches were really strict at him and he always wanted to prove himself to the coaching staff. Like He just says the right things that you want to hear a football player Say about uh, his former coaching staff and he's coming into a situation where there's a new coaching staff first year head coach. We don't know what's going to go happen with COVID-19, how truncated this entire preseason process is going to be. But you want somebody with that kind of mindset and that kind of football IQ and that kind of understanding and maturity in your locker room.
1: Yeah, I love that quote that he, you know, they asked him like, because Nick Saban's a hard ass and he runs a really tight ship and a tough program there, similar to Belichick. And he actually likes that. That's what he said. He likes that he thrives in that he's that he's he seems like a quiet reserved person, but somebody who really enjoys working hard and being within a structure there. Because he be, probably because he believes that structure can get the most out of him, Um, and so that was definitely something you like to hear. Because guess what, uh, Joe Judge is going to be running a pretty tight ship as well. It's going to be a lot different than the McAdoo days for damn sure. And it's and even though you know Shermer was a little tougher and a little more of a structure there, it's going to be a lot different than the Shermer days as well. So there's going to be a lot of changes coming for everyone in this Giants locker room, and it's a good thing that one of their draft picks at the very least is coming in with an appreciation for that structure and you know not not something not not viewing it as a negative
2: hey dan you want to know what we should do right now what's that take a word from our sponsors with currently no nba nhl or mlb you might be thinking there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem! BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's hot dog eating contest all open 24 hours a day and all online use the promo code BLUEWIRE that is blue wire all one word to join today and receive your new welcome bonus bet online your online wagering solution all right we're back
1: and Surprisingly, this show was has not been brought to you by Paul Dottino, WFAN Radio, uh, <laughs> Giants Beat Show. Um, this is actually, he has no affiliation to the show, but. But we'll we'll dive back into the evaluations. I feel like Nick. I I think we can do this. I I, I maybe I'm better suited for NHL evaluation as Paul suggested. But you know
2: what? I, I think I can get into
1: this one. Um, so yeah, let, if let's taking,
2: dive, if we're taking suggestions from Paul Tatino, then there's something wrong with us. So. <laughs> let's dive back into this. So a couple of interesting things
1: before we get to the second pick. Uh, the Giants made. A couple of interesting things that stood out to me was this. One Dave Gettleman and I love this because I really didn't want to dip into their pool. Dave Gettleman said, "I of course it was hard for me to sit there from pick 36 to pick 30 uh 99 and without any selection." And <laughs> Leonard Williams. God damn it, Nick <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't go with on. I couldn't go a podcast without it because you know what? I want that Zach Bond four-year rookie contract that sub two million against the cap. Plus, give me Williams and free agency because I know they would have signed him. No team viewed him like the Giants viewed him. Or, or screw it. They could let's say the Jets tagged him, which they never would have done. Or some team beat the Giants to the punch with uh with 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 Leonard Williams free agency. Good. I would have rather Javon Hargrave for God's sake. I think he's a better player than Leonard Williams right now. That's obvious. There's no debating that. And long term, I'd like him better too. So screw it I would have rather they're have two Henry totally different Bond. players though <laughs> they're very different players for sure Very different, yeah. they are but he I think he's a better player and either way I think the Giants were going to be able to sign Williams in pre agency but I had to say it especially when Zach Bond was still on the board due to the medical concerns and the coronavirus is the only thing I can I can see that caused that Zach Bond drop I, I can't wait till he proves his doubters wrong um but you know gotta understand the value of that four-year rookie contract two million against the cap every year but, but that's it we won't go back into that but Dave Gettleman was feeling it. You know, he he had 60, however many picks until he picked again at 99, 63 picks. But what he said, what I like, Nick, before we dive into the pick is he said that he wasn't going to dip into his 2021 draft pool to try to trade up. And he said, that was the only way that I was going to be able to make a trade. And because he didn't do it, Nick, now the value is this with all these extra seventh and sixth round picks, I think they're going to be able to use them. To trade up from that 145th pick, that fifth round pick, to get one more fourth round pick. And that's that I love because there's still so much talent on the board. We'll get to that later. There's guys we still like on the board. Um, but, but, um, but I think he's going to be able to do that for sure. And I think the other thing is he, he could even go the other way because he did mention that he was consider at least considering he's going to talk with Judge tonight or he said in the morning they're going to get together, see how their board shakes out, if there's any glaring values like they've had at these past two picks with McKinney and Pert who we're going to get to in a minute. And he might consider trading back as well to start day four, if someone really wants a top pick there and you know, he doesn't have anyone who stands out immediately. So I really like his kind of more openness to the idea of trading back, almost had a deal done, would have had a deal done if McKinney had, had not fallen and someone had taken him. I'm actually happy that McKinney did fall and didn't happen. Cause I, I, I really was sleeping on McKinney for a lot of this draft process. I think they got an absolute stud steal with him. Top 20 prospect overall in this class. I really just had him pegged for the Cowboys at 17. I was wrong about that. Um, but let's get to their pick at number 99 overall because it's another one that I love. Once again, the Giants bypassed, and they did it at 36. They did it at 4. and Well, 4 was a little bit easier, but they did it at 36, and they did it again at 99, and they've been doing it basically since Gettleman got here. They bypassed the flashy picks. They didn't go with the sexy picks. Everybody wants a sexy pick. The sexy pick gets you the good draft grade. The sexy pick gets you the fans saying you did great in the draft. Good job. We love you. But the sexy picks don't win you NFL games. Building through the trenches, finding developmental offensive linemen in the middle rounds is how you win football games over time. It's how you build the roster out the right way. And I think that's exactly what he did by drafting Matt Pert at number, 90, number 99 overall. So let's dive right into it, Nick. Give us your overall first, first reaction, takeaway, any kind of breakdown on Pert.
2: We've talked, man. We said, I would not mind the Giants double-down thing on to the tackle position on day two and they did that at 99 with matt Pert. And matt pertman saw him down at the senior bowl even got to talk with him a little bit seems like a nice cordial young man but 36 and 5 8 inch arms is 99th percentile 86 and one half wingspan so he's incredibly long and he is a very gifted athlete he's got very nimble feet very quick feet even his pass sets aren't that great yet but his foot work or all well, his foot speed is there i mean he can mirror and he can do all those things because he has such impressive foot speed natural bend natural flexibility in his lower half throughout his hips and um i just love the fact that he has these given movement skills he's given athletic traits that can kind of be coached up now he has to be coached up that's gonna ha- that's gonna be a necessity here because he does not have the punch that i would like to see for uh, some for starting tackle in the league right now. His punch is a little bit erratic with his placement and even his pop doesn't have as much power behind it as I would like. Uh, strength at the point of attack. He doesn't really move people in the run game and his anchor is something that could be exposed. He plays kind of with a high pad level sometimes and can kind of give up his chest. Now his athletic ability and his length kind of masked his, his footwork issues and some of these other issues, but in the NFL it won't. Is that... Does that mean it's a bad pick? No, because Mark Colombo can develop these things. These are just some technical things he has to work on, and he has to maybe you know get in the gym a little bit more, get a little bit more strength, learn to play with a lower center of gravity, strengthen that core up, because he's 6'6", 318 pounds. But players who have really good foot speed, quick feet, natural athletic ability, and length are very valuable. And Pert was being talked about in the first round. Not that long ago, and that was like a stretch, but you and I talked about, hey, man, crazier things have happened. Titus Howard went in the first round last year to the Texans, so who knows? I I thought Pert would go in this range, and when his name was up there, I was like— I would go in the second round, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's crazy either, to be honest, Uh, but— I don't think he's ready to play in 2020 no. right now. I think he's de- definitely going to be the development. But guess what? For the Giants, he doesn't have to be. So yes. to me, this is a uh, – it could end up being a low floor if he doesn't pan out and he doesn't develop. But you got to trust his coaching staff. They preach being teachers. So let's see if they can teach this kid. And By all accounts, he seems like a really bright young man too, and he's good with – he was versatile. He was a team captain. He played 24 Uh, Games at left tackle 24 games at right tackle has elite athletic ability all the length you want just needs to get a little bit stronger needs to clean up some of those technical deficiencies that I said before but man dude if if the Giants hit this you're literally talking about Andrew Thomas and Matt per as your starting tackles for the next what 10 years which is something crazy and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves so I'm not gonna think that right now but he has a lot of God-given gifts that people just do not receive and you just cannot teach. Yep, exactly.
1: And so for me it's a, it's it's another A pick for me. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm and everybody thinks I'm the most negative person. I'm just pretty much just objective through and through with the Giants. So it's kind of how it is, but it's another A for me because of a few reasons. One, it's the general idea. We talked about this throughout the pre-draft process, Nick. I want to bet on traits and athletic upside when it comes to these day 3-ish picks. And I'll, I'll consider this essentially a day 3 pick. It's one of the last few picks before it's a comp day pick. 3. Yeah. Exactly. It's almost a day three pick. It's in the range of where I want to start betting on upside. I want to start betting on development through coaching, and I want to start betting on athletic traits. What do I like the most about Pert? It's a combination of things. It's the fact that even though he is a project, and and I agree with you, he's really not ready to play at the NFL level because he obviously played at UConn. He was really good at UConn, and he kept getting better. He started out as just a really good pass protector who couldn't run block, and then in his final two seasons, his run-blocking grade, at least according to Football Focus, jumped all the way into the 90.1 range. That was his final run-blocking grade, so he improved in that regard, took to the coaching, and improved in there. He's also a guy who didn't start playing—he's from Jamaica, and and he didn't start playing football until he attended— Uh, high school. So he had never even played a snap of football, never even heard of the game of football Had never, I'm sure he's heard of it, but never had considered the game of football, I should say until high school. So that shows to me, he's still developing. He's really early in his development and he's developing at a very fast rate. What else do I like about pert? He's six foot seven, 318 pounds. And I saw this also, by the way, at the senior bowl, but mostly at the combine, this is what stood out to me. And this is before he was even on my radar. And this is what also what Joe judge said and what Dave Gettleman said. He's got to be the skinniest 318-pound person I've ever seen in my entire life. He literally looks like a tight end. He honestly—that's what he—and that just shows to me he has more room to fill out. He could probably get up to 330 pounds of muscle here. He could be a six seven, 330-pound perfectly ideal tackle uh, for the Giants. So I love that. I love the fact that he's an unbelievably skinny-looking person at his size.
2: But really— what? Go ahead. I was was just going to say, as long as that doesn't hinder his foot speed and athletic ability, because like there's not a bad pound on the kid, like you said, not a bad pound on the kid, not a bad pound, bro. It's crazy. Like he's literally in perfect,
1: in perfect shape. It almost seems like, but, and of course, like the, the, obviously the most, he had a pretty exciting combine. What was most exciting to some people was the five Oh six, 40 yard dash 88th percentile among all tackles. And, you know, over time, that's a zero percentiles over time. And that's awesome. That's cool. I mean, the, I don't put too much weight in that, but he had really explosive jumps too in the broad and the vertical. He's a really explosive athlete. And then obviously the 10-yard split is what everybody was talking about, 90th percentile 10-yard split. That's an unbelievably awesome time for this guy. And all that is gravy, Nick. But obviously what stands out the most to me, and I think it should stand out the most to every single Giants fan is, those, is is the 99th percentile arm length. It's that 30—I believe it's just under 37-inch arms, which is insane. And he almost has 10-inch hands, nine and a half inch hands. Hands are huge and important, too, especially, like you said, if he's going to try to develop and get better with that punch. But it's those long arms because if you look back at it, Gettleman has a type with his offensive tackles. Obviously, who else had— The two players with the longest arms in this draft class, Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert. Who else had long arms? Taylor Moten, the tackle he hit on with the Carolina Panthers when he traded up into the second round to land Taylor Moten. Moten's been one of the best right tackles in the NFL since taking over. Took him no time to land in the NFL. Darrell Williams, another guy who fits this profile. Gettleman is a big believer in arm length, at the offensive tackle position. And can you blame him? Arm length it seems extremely important when you're trying to get out in pass protection. And right now, that's really what he pro- projects as the most. I don't really see this guy as any kind of mauler long-term in the run game, any kind of that kind of player. But I no. see him as a potentially elite pass protector if he develops how they think he can. And I'll take that any day. And those long arms play a huge role in his projection moving forward as well.
2: No doubt, man. I mean, Judge even says it. I always like having athletic players who you don't feel like are tapped out. And then he brings up Mark Colombo and assistant offensive line coach Ben Wilkerson. And he says that these guys have excellent. This guy has excellent upside because of his physical build and his athletic ability. And then he mentions two things that you and I can't really weigh too much in on because we just don't know. And that's his character on and off the field and his work ethic. And according to Coach Judge and what he said in the presser he has both those things in spades. So I love that entire package because this is the ceiling on this pick is so damn high. It's insane, you tr- man. And if you do trust these coaches, which I do and I believe you do, yep. then, I mean, and it's kind of hard to say that right now because we haven't seen anything on the field, but we kind of like what they've been saying, so we'll roll with that. Then why not make this selection, add depth to this offensive tackle room, this offensive line room, and see what you have here. I- I'm just done... Ignoring this position and getting our quarterback, whether it be Eli Manning from the past, or Daniel Jones now, getting them killed and having them getting put on their back. Now you need to stop edge rushers. You need to protect your passer. You need to have players who can run block. And I agree with you. I'm not. He's not quite there with the run blocking. He needs to add strength. But you just trap that Andrew Thomas. And guess what? Andrew Thomas has an abundance of an ability to run block. And it's mm-hmm. so fun to watch Andrew Thomas's tape when it comes to his ability in run, the run blocking phase playing offense, man. So. High upside pick. I wouldn't expect much from him this year, but I, I, I like the uh the future aspects of this uh this uh ninety-ninth selection.
1: Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And I'm so happy you brought that up because it is really interesting. We haven't heard this as really part of the process until this uh draft. And it's what Joe Judd said. He said that when when they watch this guy's tape and Ben Wilkerson, the Giants assistant offensive line coach, and then Mark Colombo, mainly these guys really wanted to get a chance to work with him. They were excited about him and they played a big role, I think, in this decision because Gettleman said it best. They grilled him. They said, you you really want to take Matt Pert over a center. Do you consider a center? And he said, none of the centers on my board had anywhere close to as high of a grade as Matt Pert. And we're just not going to do that. We're going to take value. And that I actually love, by the way, about Gettleman's draft process. There's things I've complained about with Gettleman and I dislike about him as a general manager. I got to be honest, Nick, I, I'm not, I don't know if I can it's and, and obviously I'd love to trade back, but at least he was considering it this draft and it seems like that's kind of changed completely with him now that Joe judge's influence is in the mix. So that's a good sign moving forward. But I just love the way this guy drafts. I like his entire process for the draft. I like the positions he puts more uh, importance on, including the secondary and the trenches and the offensive line. I like that he doesn't always have to, that he does not swayed by the flashy picks, the sexy picks. And I like that he drafts for value. you got to draft for value in this league. You have, and he says it over and over, use free agency for needs and the draft value. And he's stuck to that. Now, have they also drafted needs? Sure, because, or I'm sorry, not need picks, but has it seemed like they also have drafted needs, Nick? Of course it has. But really, in reality, it's just been a nice marriage of their needs meeting up with value. And when they took Julian Love in round four last year, that wasn't a need after going DeAndre Baker. You know what I mean? And going Sam Beal in round three the year before with George Jenkins on the road. Like, that was a total value pick. This is another total value pick for them. But more importantly, like last year when it was a guy like Love who's going to play all these different roles in the secondary, and Judge said it best, we don't have a role for Love yet. We think he can play the slot. We can play boundary. We think he can play safety. And just like this with Pert, they may not have a role for him in 2020, but they think that he's a developmental prospect that could be a long-term solution at one of the most important positions in football, not one of the sexiest positions in football, one of the most important positions in football. So for me, Nick… That's what that's when you're starting to get these slam dunk type picks. And that's kind of where I where I'm at here with this Pert pick.
2: Yeah, people could say a lot about Gettleman, but he sticks to his convictions and he sticks to his board. And I mean, I, I know just from I mean, I'm just trying to connect tea leaves that the Giants were really high on Matt Hennessy, And we brought that up. And I believe he would have been the selection if he was not drafted. Um, what, what was it like seven or eight picks before right. the 99th? Uh, selection but once you know off the
1: bull- Cush and barry was was nine picks before henny was a little earlier than that i'm pretty e- sure if I remember this e- right
2: either way yeah i'm not sure how they valued kush but kush seems like he would be a player that Gettleman would love played in the sec uh was the number 18 jersey like like we always bring up very very um uh revered for his leadership skills you know had a lot of starting experience but pert I mean, that's, that could be a potential long-term solution for a pass protector for Daniel Jones that you found at pick 99 and your coaches were pounding the table for. So you cannot you cannot knock that, man. You just can't. Yeah. Especially, and, when, and, like, what, what's the opportunity cost of selecting Matt Pearl? Like, who was on the board that you're like, oh, man, I really wish we had him? You got guys right. like Akeem Davis-Gaither and Troy Dye, two players that you and I both really like. But you just added Xavier McKinney. Now Xavier McKinney's more of a safety. They're more linebackers, but they're still players that are going to be operating on the second level. McKinney's going to play in the box. Sure, he's going to. So just add more depth and add people who could be long-term solutions to that offensive line that's just been such a problem for the New York Giants for so damn long. So, you know, I, I find it hard to really go after that and look around the draft. There's not that many other people. The edge group is is relatively weak. Uh, you know, there's not as many, a lot of people who I'm like, oh wait, I really wish the Giants went in that direction over Matt Pert. Yeah, and the the thing that excites
1: me the most, I would say, about Pert is that every single person I've asked and talked to about Pert that does this for a living has said the exact same thing. When they watch him on tape, he looks like arguably one of, if not the most athletic tackle in this entire draft class. That's super exciting for me because. That's a really key trait for this position. And when you talk and you, when you listen to Joe Judge talk and, and Dave Gettleman, who believes he has a sizable ceiling still with this kid, he's not maxed out from that standpoint. And Judge said it best. I mean, he really believes that there's still that, that although there's the athleticism is obvious when you watch this guy. And it's obvious when you not only watch him, but when you see him test out the combine, we just went over those numbers, but, but also obviously the film, the footwork and, and how he looks in pass production, just pure athleticism in space. But, when Judge says what he said, which is that we don't feel like he's completely maxed out from it, even as an athletic standpoint, and we our coaches really are really excited about this guy. They really want to get to work with this guy. They really feel like they can get this guy up to speed probably faster than anyone thinks, and they could get a lot more out of this guy on a long term basis as well. That's the type of thing that excites me because that's exactly the type of that's the type of the type of player and prospect you should be looking to target in this range of the draft at all times, in my opinion. It's one of the reasons why they slam dunked that Darius Leighton pick. They bet on traits instead of betting on, you know, all the extraneous factors that went into why he wasn't a productive player at the collegiate level. Um and this is not does not is not an apples apples comparison, Nick, because Pert was super productive at UConn, but again, this is the players he was playing against are nowhere near what he's going to face at the NFL level, and that's kind of why you know we see the concerns with the play strength and the and, and the developmental pick. But it's kind of just the overall idea of betting on traits here.
2: I remember when I was down at the Senior Bowl, uh, the Senior Bowl executive director Jim Nagy, who I have a who I who I know just because I interned for him, he said that he comped. He said this publicly too. He comps Matt Pert to Dubravka Shaw Ferguson. Now, that's very high praise, and that's kind of the ceiling of what Pert could become. But that was what was kind of going around. I mean, he's a very keyed-in guy, obviously, former scout. That was what go- was going around the NFL circles. Now, the rawness of Pert, that's why he slid instead of being a top-six selection. But, I mean, if you could scratch that surface, man, and unlock that massive potential, I mean, you you got yourself a steal.
1: Can I tell you something that's so funny about that, by the way? It— <laughs> He said that to you based on the film and the tape and watching him.
2: Play. He said it. To, he said it publicly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but based yeah. on all those factors, that was way before the combine. After the combine, if you look at mock draft draftable, the second based on his athletic testing and his size and his length. He compares most like to any prospect. The second most prospect he compares to is the brick of Shaw Ferguson. It's an eighty-one percent match, and it's so funny because Andrew Thomas was the same thing. The second pro, the second or the prospect he compared to the second most was again to brick of Shaw Ferguson. And obviously, it is what it is. Dave Dave Gettleman has his type. He wants length at this position. He wants long arms, big hands, and and obviously as well at height. These guys are both you know tall guys. He's six foot seven. Thomas is almost six foot six, but. You know, both of these guys. Not. It's interesting to me that Nagy said that because that was, that really just gives you a barometer of how he compares to Ferguson from an athletic standpoint and from a frame standpoint. But he was talking about how he looked on tape, and that's interesting to me because this is a player we think still has a long way to go in his development. And if you see starting to see flashes that early, could be a really good sign.
2: Let's hit a home run, New York Giants at
1: 99. Oh, oh my God. How nice would it be for them to hit a home run at 99 and have it be an offensive tackle? Like, we believe they probably hit a home run last year at whatever it was, 160, whatever it was they got Slayton at, and maybe, just maybe they hit a home run with Connolly. That one's more of a long shot. Who knows with that one, especially with injury. But if they hit a home run at the offensive tackle position, it's the best position to hit a home run at. One hundred and ten percent, my friend. All right, Nick, anything else on their day two picks before we turn the page and quickly preview some of the players we hope the Giants are targeting on day three?
2: Not, not much, man. I mean, I'm going to be uh, just watching a lot of film and I'll have much more uh, to write about over the next coming days and weeks about these two. So tune into Sports Illustrated and Big Blue View SB Nation to catch some of that stuff. That's just well, one thing I guess I will say. It does seem like like we told about how Gettleman has a type with the tackle position I mean, we brought up his affinity for the SEC uh, conference like he really does seem to put a lot into experience players who play a lot of games and players who have these leadership and captain type of roles, something that I've just kind of seen. I mean, all these guys that he has drafted have an abundant starting experience. I want to say all have played in at least over 40 games. Two of them were team captains and then McKinney. Was just like all SEC, I think he was first team all SEC safety. Who was, I don't think he was a team captain, but he was basically the leader of that defense. So, I like, I I feel like Gettleman is really trying to build that locker room up and bring in a lot of culture guys, and it's something that we could probably, um, you know, remember when he first took the job. He got rid of a lot of people who were not culture guys. So, just I like to see the Giants kind of building that infrastructure up again because they really strayed away from it in the latter Reese years.
1: No doubt. I mean, that's a key factor for what they want to build here, and I- I'm on board with it as well. All right, Nick, let's talk about some day three targets here. So I'm going to go over a few of mine. Let's let's go back and forth with some of our favorite targets here. I'm going to start with Akeem Davis-Gaither. We've talked about Akeem Davis-Gaither at length. I don't exactly know if they need another second-level defender because, as we said, McKinney's going to play on that second level a lot, and so will Love or whoever, you know, Peppers love McKinney, one of the three at all, uh, pretty much at all times, I think. But it doesn't matter. I think the value's right there. He's somebody who's way at the top of my list when they're on the board again at 110. A um, couple other guys I'll run through before we get to yours. Tyler Biotish, I'm still high on him, the Wisconsin center. Obviously, the injuries have played a key role in his slide. We know that. He was you know, a first-round pick if he had declared... Prior to if you declared for the last draft and said came back for 2019 played through the injuries and was a lot worse on tape and clearly without the combine I'm sorry without the pro day process and the private visits teams don't really feel comfortable about his medicals. The same thing happened with uh, Lucas Niang who we like who went all the way just a few picks before Matt Pert way at the back end of round three and I think primarily because of that we saw it with Zach Bond as well who dropped to 74 maybe Josh Jones as well. I'm willing to take a chance in the 110 range to get a center who I think really would fit what the Giants want to do from a power standpoint at that center position. Um Tyler Johnson, Minnesota receiver. We talked about him on the last on one of our sleepers podcast, on one of our targets podcast. He's going to be such an unbelievable value. If they take him at 110, I freaking love that pick and There's a few other receivers who stand out to me, but let's go into another position here, and I'll go with Troy Dye, the Oregon linebacker. Similar thing with Akeem Davis-Gaither. Just get that athleticism in the linebacker position, someone who can cover and match in nickels. So those are probably the four guys who probably stand out the most to me, but there's a lot of other guys, so I want to hear some guys that you're targeting on day three.
2: Antonio Gandy-Golden, wide receiver from Liberty, 6'4", 223 pounds, at 79 catches for just under 1,400 yards in 2019, along with 10 touchdowns. And I want to say he had 10 touchdowns in each of his last three seasons. He's like a prototypical X-type receiver, very good at the catch point, uses his body well, shields it away from defenders, has pretty good tracking ability, concentration, jumps up, plucks the ball out of the air, high-pointing it with his good catch radius. I just think he's a player that is – Fought, fell to day three comes from a smaller program in liberty but you know hugh freeze is getting that program on the up and up and he went down to the senior bowl and showed the ability to you know release off the line of scrimmage using good footwork using solid hands and things that you didn't really expect from a player coming from liberty so i think he has a lot to uh, kind of um to build upon a lot he has a lot in his resume that uh, would lead me to think that he could actually make an immediate impact on the giants especially especially in like short yardage situations and near the goal line i think donovan people's jones a little bit different than gandy golden you know similar in height and just a big body type receiver x type receiver production was really really down never really lived up to his billing at michigan but his lower body explosiveness was 99th percentile for both the vert and the broad jump i think uh, he just has a lot of potential that has yet to been reached uh ben Barch and keith ishmael for interior offensive lineman ben Barch. From St. John's, went down to the senior bowl, played left tackle. But, I mean, he's a Division III prospect. He's going to have to kick inside with his sub-33-inch arms. But he's a real mauler in the run game, plays with good leverage, has a lot of development to go. But um, if he's available a little bit later, I think that could be somebody that you can invest in and could possibly be a starter on the interior parts of the offensive line. I don't know about his transition to center. And Ishmael is somebody we've talked about on this podcast. Has a good bend, good flexibility, good hips. Uh, I like his foot quickness. I think he's going to be an ideal fit for a zone scheme. Doesn't really have the power at the point of attack or the push to be in that the power scheme, which might be what Jason Garrett is looking to run uh, more power concepts. But I still think... His uh, positioning and his framing of blocks is good enough to where he could be effective doing that. If you get him later in the draft, I don't think that's a terrible investment. Maybe he can improve yeah. his strength. Uh, along, maybe he can improve his strength. And then um, just looking through some of the other lists of players that are available. I mean, there there are a couple pass rushers like Curtis Weaver, who's a bigger guy. He's about two hundred sixty-four pounds. Uber I don't like productive. Weaver, he's uber productive. I don't necessarily know his fit with the Giants. Yeah. But he is one of those people you're going to bring into your locker room, and he's going to be an ultimate competitor, which there's some value in that. But I feel like guys like Kenny Willickis and Derek Tuska are two players mm. who we talked about on the sleepers pod, who are now going to be available on day three. Both kind of have that elite competitive toughness, hustle, you know, team. Team coach, uh, you know, coach loves the kind of player. I'm going to thrive on special teams, put them in sub packages. I think those guys will be a solid, um, solid additions to teams, probably maybe like fifth round and later somewhere around there. But yeah, there, there's still some talent out here. I got a couple uh, other guys, actually.
1: There's still guys. So for me, Nick, again, with this, I'm not going down the board of list of needs here. I think that's a stupid way to draft in general. I'm looking for just overall talent, guys that like like Dave Gettleman said are going to be super high on their board and too good a value to pass. And some guys that stand out to me: Kavon Wallace out of Clemson. We've talked a lot about Wallace on this podcast. Some people shot him all the way up to like round two or three in their mocks, and then he's still on the board. Even earlier, you know, middle early round three, and I saw late round two. He's still on the board. I think eventually he could. He probably has to be a slot, though he has played safety. And they don't really necessarily anymore need a slot, per se. But they could always use a slot. You could always lose use defensive backs. I'm never going to get mad at that. Interested by him. I'm interested by the idea of Prince Tego Win- Winogo. Like, still on the board. Another big surprise. Could they potentially draft him and move him into interior? Move him and give him a shot at center? I'm kind of open to these ideas. Same thing with Ben Bredesen, a guy who I thought would be off the board now from Michigan. A guard. But could they draft him, move him into center? Worst case, you have a nice backup guard there. Um, So he's... Certainly intriguing to me. Bryce Hall's intriguing to me. Bryce Hall was a guy who you talked about in the last pod or one of the last few. He was supposed to be a first-round pick if he came out two years or last year. Had I went back, and now he's on the board in day three. Like, these are the type of guys that intrigue me. Same thing with LeJarius Sneed, a guy we mentioned on the Sleepers pod. Um, guy super high athleticism, betting on traits unbelievable athlete from a small school. I like that. Now, again, I still probably think he's probably best suited for a nickel role. Not sure they certainly need that, but again, I'm looking at value. And even going back to receiver, which again is part need, part just value. Isaiah Hodgkins, we didn't talk about him out of out of Oregon State. Huge receiver, another guy who can use his body really well and might be a nice fit for Garrett. Quintez Cephas, my boy from Wisconsin. You won't find me not mentioning him on a single podcast. This guy is Hakeem Nix, reincarnated, in my opinion, is really damn close to Hakeem Nix. Watch him play. You'll see what I mean. This is a potentially Hakeem Nix type that you're going to get on day three. Obviously, the 40 time's killing him. It's just destroying his entire stock. He ran a ridiculously hor- horrendous 40 time at the combine and then followed up with a solid four five, mid four fives as pro day. Uh, he probably doesn't have the speed to be anything more than a role player, um, but Hakeem Nix never had the speed either. He really didn't. He didn't win with speed. And some of these guys don't win with speed. DeAndre Hopkins doesn't win, doesn't have that straight line speed and finds a way to get downfield. Anquan Bolden, I think, ran a 4-6-1. So I'm not going to rule anyone out because of that. I'm really not. What I see on tape and what I've seen in my own eyes with Quintus Cephas has me sold there. And so I'm sticking with that. How about Troy Pride, Jr.? Another corner but just great And Robinson you. too. And Ameek Robinson needs so much value at the defensive back. Spot And then if you guys want any more insight into some of our day three targets, you can go back and listen to our day three sleepers podcast. It should be two or three pods behind. I think we dropped it on Thursday, the first night of the draft. It will be Saturday tomorrow. It is Saturday already. Um, and so you could take a look there. A couple names we haven't mentioned that we went into depth on that podcast. Calvin Throckmorton, a guy I believe can come right in, slide into center. He's probably the most exciting center prospect for me right now on the board outside of Ishmael and Biadish. Really like that potential fit there. Move him inside the center full time. He played a bunch of roles at Oregon. I think he's a really good pick for the Giants to get him. Chris Orr potentially. Um, how about a guy you mentioned who I think is really interesting, Dane Jackson. Um, another defensive back, but another potential nickel back, but just really good value right now. A um, couple other guys that were that we hit on that podcast. Travis Gibson, Edge out of Tulsa, who Nick is intrigued by. Reggie Robertson, corner out of Tulsa. James Prochet. James Prochet. Another receiver we love at SMU. Prochet I'm actually probably more excited about than any receiver left on the board outside of Tyler Johnson, uh, for me at least. And maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones just because of the upside there based on traits. Um, and then finally, John Reed slot out of Penn State, another guy um, who they could potentially look at on these on this day three as they move forward here. So a lot of guys to talk about. A lot of names. And, and, and by the way, I don't want to give up on Joe Bacci, my boy out of Michigan State. Remember, 93rd percentile 10-yard split, 90th percentile 3-cone, former basketball player. Um, think he's a potentially got, type of guy the Giants will add at linebacker, similar to how they added Ryan Connolly with one of these day three picks. So we'll see as it moves forward for sure. It seems like my voice is starting to break. Uh, it's been a long, <laughs> trying weekend here. Fun, long uh, and exhausting at the same time. Thank you all for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We really appreciate everyone who's taken the time not only to listen but to subscribe, to talk about it with us on Twitter, to share that you enjoy it on Twitter. That always makes our day when you tweet at us like we loved your show, anything like that. Anyone wants to help the show, we'll ask you the same way we've always asked you to help the show. And if you've done it already, you can totally skip over this because it doesn't apply to you. But if you haven't, please do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Make sure you download every podcast and then please leave us a five star or whatever you want. Hopefully it's five star rating and review. Not, not whatever you want. Leave us a five star rating review. This is five star content. All right. So leave us a five star rating and review on iTunes. And On that note, we'll be back tomorrow night to wrap up day three of the draft and then we'll be back probably the day after to get final grades, final thoughts, key takeaways, things of that nature. So stay safe, enjoy the rest of the draft and we'll talk to you soon.
3: mypatriotsupply.com